Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to become the greatest opera singer in the world and dethrone Pavarotti for that title. Terrible resource for that. Yeah, I have been working on it in the background, but yeah, I am not. I am not going to do my opera voice on oh, the mic yeah, right now. Oh yeah, you were doing it when I was filming at sixty frames per second. I, so I, I do, do slow mo footage. I do have one, but it's not going to go on this podcast because it would be so obnoxious when you were just listening to it and it came out of nowhere. Playing back that slow mo footage with your opera singing in it was disturbing. It really, it <laughs> sincerely sounded like the sound when you defeat the Armos boss and Link to the Past. But uh, haven't gotten that far in that game. Um, it's a good, it's a classic. I'm very sorry that it's I haven't good, beaten it good, yet. Good game. I think I got through one dungeon and then I stopped playing. Oh, there's so many more than that. There are like there's a second one. There's like a, Aren't a there third nine? one. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Okay. I, I think I was playing it on. Oh, I was playing it on our friend's actual Super Nintendo, which did yeah. feel authentic, but yep. it also meant that when we moved away from him. I lost access to the game. Ashley got me the Super NES Classic. Oh, is that on there? Also, you can, um, on your Switch, when you have online, they now, they're going to do Super NES games, too. For real? I don't know when, but I, I, vague, I remember seeing the video and then ignoring all the details because skimming has become a terrible habit. That's what you do now? I, I do. I go Haven't to the bookstore and I just, I can't do video? anything. No. You can't skim because you will not comprehend the details of that's, reading. That's what happens. You gotta read books at 200 to 400 words per minute. Yeah, I go to the bookstore with Ashley and I'm like looking for something and I'm just like, I'm just going down the whole thing. Like I was hoping I would glance and randomly my eyes would fall on what I recognized and she was like, it's oh. over here by the last name because they're alphabetized. What are you doing? Oh, wait, you were looking for something specific. And, yeah, and I'm okay. just like, I never, well, yeah, I just thought maybe I'd find it. <laughs> I don't use the system. Okay. I work outside the system. I don't know if you have this, but when I am looking for something, I have a tendency to browse instead of search and just like hope that I will find it. Yeah. And I think my brain is like hoping it will find something more interesting while Ooh. browsing. No, I, I'm just definitely hoping I'll find the thing. I'm just like, what if I didn't use any smart ways to do this mm. to help myself? That way, Ashley would shake her head more often in disappointment <laughs> you're just trying to have ashley help you out more yeah you know she's got to pull her weight yeah she's got to help you find i'm pretending i don't know the book. answer to the math questions so that she can help me this is like yeah. like mean girls basically <laughs> but i'm Lindsay lohan well life is like mean girls and that's what all that's all i've ever wanted and the lesson for mean girls is you can be a mean girl and at the end everyone will just forgive you instantly well yeah and it's fine duh <laughs> just a slight a slight act of redemption is enough to fix it all at least if you live in a magical At least movie surface land. level. Yes, at least surface level. We didn't we can't talk about the, you know, harbored resentment under the surface that every character probably ends the movie with. And if they don't act on it, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> All right. Anyway, welcome back to the show. My name's Thomas Frank, here as always with my good friend Martin Bamey. And today we're talking about when to invest in new gear for your hobbies, for your profession, whatever it is you're doing. Yep. When do you spend money to upgrade? Upgrade. Yeah. He's going to get his money. He is going to get his money. And <laughs> uh, this is a, this is a I think this is an important topic to cover because remember when we did the skill building episode? Which skill building episode? The one that was like the one with uh, the octopus? I think it was like 
No, that was the 10 skills. Oh, yeah, that's every the 10 skills. That's the one the about skills. how to literally learn new skills Ah, uh, yes, that one. Yes. So I think we went over this concept in that episode. When you're getting better at something, there are three different types of progression in my mind. There is progression that is one through deliberate practice. So literally sitting there and just like hammering away at the piano piece that you're trying to learn. Or in my case, running through the exact same one minute section of a song that I'm trying to learn how to sing correctly and just recording take after take after take. And then like sending it to my vocal school, my vocal teacher and having him be like, this sounds nasally, this timing was bad. And then going back and trying to fix it. So that's one thing. The second type is pure learning. So going through a course or a book or going through a class or whatever it is. Hmm. The third type is buying new equipment. And the dangerous thing about buying new equipment is it brings about the quickest feeling of progression out of the three. Feels very good. It really does. Like it's hard to put in deliberate practice and the improvements are slow. But when you go and buy like a new camera lens or a better microphone, you're like, I'm instantly better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very tempting to keep doing that. You like identify yourself with the gear now and you're like, I must be more productive now. Or mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to read more. So I bought this Kindle. Have I read anything on it? No, but like now that I have a Kindle, I'm definitely a reading type person. Yeah. And now now that I feel good, I get bored with the goal and then walk away. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the whole like don't tell people about your goals I was thing. Just thinking, it's very similar, but yeah. you're telling yourself through gear somehow. It's Yeah. Well, so and for people who haven't seen that video, um, when you tell people about your goals, if they're not the kind of person who are going to hold your feet to the fire, Like, I think you probably would if I told you a goal of mine, but just like the average friend is probably just going to say, oh, that's cool. And you're going to feel good yeah. because you told them that, oh, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to learn to play piano. And they're like, that's cool. And then like you feel cool because they acknowledged that you had the intention to do something, but now you're less motivated to put in the work. Yeah. Well, you're like, now they see me like that. And all I really wanted was for people to see me like that. Mm -hmm. Now I don't have to actually do that. Yeah. But but the gear is like you'd identifying with it too quickly all by yourself you don't need anybody else to encourage you yeah well you buy new gear and oh here's a great analogy um a while ago i so i have pokemon red like i have the cartridge like the game boy one or fire red uh the game boy one okay like i own it okay i also have an emulation version and i found out that you can speed up the emulation so i played it at like ten thousand frames per second one time and now I can't play Pokemon at normal. It's one speed. of the saddest things I've ever heard. I know. In my I life. kind of ruined it. For it's myself. a tragedy. I kind of ruined it for myself. But uh, <laughs> it, it's like now I can't go back because I got like that super quick feeling progression, and that just like I don't know. It like kicked the dopamine loop into high gear, and now going back to the normal thing is it feels boring. And if you're constantly buying gear and you're constantly getting those little hits of dopamine from getting new gear, then the act of practicing or the act of going through a course that's slower, it might feel boring and you might be like, well, either I'm going to keep buying gear to get that feeling or I'm just going to quit because now it's boring, you know? So you got like those little jolts of acceleration and now things have slowed down. Yeah. You're going to have to do the the work at some point and it's not going to feel as good because you're going to be like, I suck. Mm -hmm. You know, you could buy a $10,000 camera and still, if that was your first camera, that was probably a bad idea because you're probably going to suck at it. So every time you yeah. use it, you'll feel bad. And you just think, Ooh. maybe I needed more stuff instead. 
Because every time I try taking photos, I feel bad. But when I buy cameras, I feel like a professional photographer. That's true. I was I was watching a video from a guy named uh, Potato Jet, and he has this whole channel about Solid name. filmmaking and, and gear. Uh, and so professional cameras have these things called matte boxes. They're like these little thin but pretty uh, wide and tall boxes that go in front of the lens of the camera. And in the olden days, um, you would use these to put in like neutral density filters that were super Mm. high quality and they were like rectangular and you'd slide them in there. Or you would use them to put like little barn doors on the matte box. But they were saying like today, a lot of cameras have built in neutral density filters but you'll still see a lot of filmmakers walking around with the matte box on the lens. And let's be real here. Part of the reason, or maybe most of the reason is it makes the camera look cooler and it makes you look <laughs> more like a filmmaker. Like, are you going to hire the dude that has like the crazy camera set up with a matte box in the front? Or are you going to hire the dude that just has like a lens slapped on there? Nothing else. You're probably going to hire the dude that looks more legit, even yeah. though the matte box doesn't do anything. That can actually, and it, the reverse <laughs> can sometimes be helpful too, because I've seen a few places, I don't remember exactly, but I, I'm always looking for the photography guidelines for places so that mm. I don't get like kicked out or something. But some places, they'll be like, if you just got a camera on you, sure. But if you're coming in with like a tripod and it looks it looks too professional and too fancy, we're going to have to charge you something. And I'm like, yep, I don't need any of that to take the exact kind of photos I'm taking. And they may still look very good at the end, but I don't look professional enough. So I could just mm-hmm. get right in there. It's true. Yeah. The more professional you look, the more likely you are to get hassled. Yeah. Also, this is a reason why I'm kind of glad I don't live in LA because I didn't think about this, but it kind of makes sense when you do think about it because LA is like the hotbed of filmmaking activity. All locations are hypersensitive to people filming at them and they will always have guards that coming out. That makes a lot of like, sense. You can't film here or you need to get a permit or whatever it is in Denver. Nobody cares. No one's, no one's used to filmmaking crews being around. Yeah. So you can walk around and vlog. You can go out and film stuff. Like Tony and I were filming stuff with a gimbal in a park. No one even gave us a second look. That is convenient. It's, it's kind of cool being in a town where it's not really known for filmmaking. So all the people who run these places like in public are not hypersensitive to people filming. Their patience has not been run out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, there are drone laws in here and stuff like that, but there's not a, super strict like licensing laws for location shooting and things like that which is really nice and at some point we're going to go up into the mountains and do like a pretty cool location shoot yeah i'm excited for that uh so anyway we're talking a lot about cameras here and i guess this was kind of the reason that we wanted to do this episode because recently you and i have both decided to invest in gear yep uh and what is it that you got was it like a new lens i i just got so I rented a lens and I bought an iPad Air after like 17 billion years of of considering getting an iPad and using Ashley's and not being sure and mm. hemming and hawing and whatnot. Yeah. But it was finally time to invest. Finally time. And what was the reason? Well, what happened was I was having some writer's block mm-hmm. and then so I took her iPad for one day and then she just, she just kind of handed it to me and was like, just write stuff. And then uh, and so I went out. We were parked at like a park, and I'm just hanging out in the park. The weather's nice. I'm just sitting in my car actually just with the iPad. I started writing, and everything just came to me. And I was like, oh, wait, this is actually way less pressure than when I'm sitting at my desk. 
but I don't like bringing my laptop places. Yeah. That's not great for this. But it wouldn't it wasn't just that. It was helping me write uh it was helping me write scripts and do research cuz I could do the multitasking stuff. But I've also recently been trying to get into pixel art. Mm-hmm. And I can use the iPad through an app called uh, Duet Display as a second screen where I can use the use the Apple Pencil. So I've been I can draw the pixel art and then refine it later. So wait, are you drawing on the iPad screen but yeah. into your Mac? Yeah. I did not know you could do that. It's really cool. Okay. And, and in fact, so I, I really hesitate to buy things. So I wrote myself a little list of everything that I had been borrowing Ashley's iPad for over and over. Okay. So you did like an actual list and pros and cons and everything. Well, it was just every time I would do it, I'd be like, am I really going to use this that often? Probably not. But mm-hmm. then I wrote it all out after I've been using it more frequently. And it was podcast and video research, article research and work. I could write temp- temporary sheet music. Sometimes I want to write just like a few melody lines. I could just easily do a grand staff, throw it in there. Yeah. Like put down the number of which music memo recording it is so mm-hmm. that that's all connected. Um, so... Oh, so are you doing music memos on the iPad now? I will. My okay. piano is in storage. Oh, that's right. So I can't write a lot of music right now. Um, the pixel art thing... I could plan out code solutions because sometimes I literally just like to screenshot, print out code and like draw circles around it and do stuff. I could just do that on the iPad now. It could be a second monitor for when I'm coding and I can use it to read occasionally if I haven't brought my Kindle, particularly for comics or graphic novels. And at one point I wanted to write a book and I can also use Scrivener on the iPad. That's true. Over and over and over and over. I was just like, these are all real things. And now that I have the iPad, after so much deliberation, those are like the only apps on it. It's a work and project iPad. I don't mm-hmm. have any social media on it. So I, I want to use it as the investment it's supposed to be. And how long have you had it now? Just um, maybe a week or two. Would you say that it's been worth it? I would. Okay. I would. It has already made several things better. Okay. And I get through, especially just little admin tasks too. I didn't think about that before. Yeah. But I'll just sit out on the balcony, just kind of do them all. Sitting at my desk with proper posture and then the, all the keyboard stuff and the lap desk set up. And it can be pretty formal. It just feels like that to me is when I'm finishing my work. I'm, mm, okay. I'm like I'm like doing the active coding. I'm publishing something. That's for finishing work. But for yeah. the creative thinking work, I really need to disconnect from my desk a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like the iPad is, it's a device that allows you to make a preliminary mess easier yeah which for me that's a and i don't write on the ipad too much but uh for me like making a preliminary mess is really important for the writing process because if i don't do it then i end up sitting down at a blank cursor and expecting myself to put out something perfect yeah just on the first try and that usually results in a lot of procrastination because i'm like well i don't think i have the perfect article in me right now yeah exactly go check my email that stuff takes me forever to start (laughs) I procrastinate starting that stuff for weeks, months, and then I just picked up her iPad and was like, oh, look, I'm doing it for some reason. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And it's still working like that. It's just really easy to pick up and start something. So for me, that's important. Yeah. But, you know, I avoided it for years because I hesitate on investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that I tend to not hesitate quite as much as you do. Um. In fact, like we were talking about how this podcast should probably be called like minimalist versus maximalist or something in the future because yeah, you are still using your 2012 MacBook Air and like 
Oh, it's still running strong. Blank walls. And I'm just like, give me complexity. Now, my hesitance to upgrade is deep. I got Mm -hmm. my six-year-old MacBook still running strong. My phone here, I cracked the glass on the back camera. Oh, it's like literally just... It's cracked open. So when I take photos, so there's like little spots and stuff from where the lens has been affected. I just don't care. Like, I'm not going to... up. Even if I had a million dollars in the bank, I would not upgrade my phone or my MacBook right now. Really? I just don't care. Okay. If you had a million dollars in the bank, you wouldn't upgrade your MacBook. No, it's too much of a hassle, and I don't care if it's better. <laughs> it works okay. just fine. So, yeah, this is definitely where we differ. I wouldn't even consider it. I, I don't know. There's, like, certain things I will upgrade and certain things that I will be very hesitant to upgrade. And I guess that can kind of lead into the things that I upgraded, because computers, I'll upgrade them pretty quickly, as long as I'm, like, you know, that's not a financial burden, and I stand to gain some benefit from it personally like the tools i use i want them to be the best they can be Mm. but for the longest time i did not upgrade camera gear because i was like it's good enough you know and i think it was pretty good but uh when i went to my friend matt diavella's house to film the how they work episode with him um he had these canon c200 cameras each of which cost six thousand five hundred dollars but they can put out some absolutely beautiful footage. And he had like these really nice lenses and microphones and everything. And I was like, I'm really jealous of the colors you're able to get out of this. I'm really jealous of the fact that these cameras can film for more than 29 minutes without shutting off because of stupid European Uh. tariffs. I'm really jealous of like the quality of the lenses and everything. Like this is really cool. And I could think of some really cool stuff I could do with gear like this. Um, but I had always been super hesitant to upgrade it. And I think it was like, it was a sticker shock thing. Camera gear is very expensive. <laughs> it is, right? Like, I, th- I thought about it. Um, so I ended up buying the C200. Again, $6,500 camera. Big, like, I think it was the biggest investment in the business I've ever made that doesn't involve, like, paying people to work for the business. Yeah. Like, the biggest piece of gear I've ever invested in. Uh, and then I also got some new lenses and stuff. And, uh, I ended up getting Canon's like smaller mirrorless camera, the USR, because it can also shoot in the very flat cinematic uh, color profile that the C200 can do. And I want to do two camera interviews. And I did not want to do what Matt did, which was to buy two C200s because that's (laughs) $13,000. That's a little bit. It's a little bit. Yeah. So the fact that the EOSR can shoot in that very cinematic um, you know, log is what they call it, color profile, means I can match it pretty well to the C200. It yeah. may not be as great, but it, it will be close. Okay. So I'm going to, at least this is my experiment. I'm going to go do more of these interviews. I'm going to shoot the main angle with the C200, which is what we're using now, actually. And then I will have the EOSR as the second angle. But the crazy thing is the EOSR, I think it's like $2,000 camera. And because I was buying it at the same time, I was like, oh, it's not that expensive. And then I realized like, Every other camera I'd ever used was about a thousand bucks or less. Yeah. So I think it was just like, I had never gone up to that price level before. And I was honestly scared to, but fortunately I'd been just socking extra profits from the business away in the bank. And I realized like it, this is just sitting here doing nothing except acting as a potential cushion. But there's, there's like a pretty significant amount now. All right, let's finally make some upgrades. So I upgraded the cameras and then I was just like, you know what? Let's just upgrade everything that 
is still kind of cheap. So there's better lights now. I got some little filmmaking tools that I've never had access to. Like uh, we're using a little a light bouncer, which people watching this can see. So we don't actually have two lights. We just have one big light bouncing off of like this silver thing, which enables us to do some pretty cool stuff. Um, I got like sandbags and better light stands. Just actual pro grade gear. And uh, if people want to see kind of like what we can do with that, uh, the last video that we published as of this recording, which was the afternoon slump video, was filmed with the new gear. And I'm really happy with how it turned out, which you wrote that. I did. So you were also part of that. I do that. I am the mastermind behind getting a hard boiled egg inside of a banana yeah, I for a midday snack. So, I mean, I'm like, all right, cut the banana open hot dog wise and then like use a spoon to cut a channel on the banana. Uh, hot dog then... wise would make it easier. I've always pictured cut it just straight in half. So you got like two holdable bananas. You okay. kind of scoop out a little bit and you shove, <laughs> you shove I guess hard boiled egg. egg. Well, my original idea was that I was going to put a piece of hot dog inside a banana and then we have a friend who likes bananas and I was just going to like open the banana and then be like, you know what? I don't want this. You want this and see if they would eat it. And then just suddenly be like, is that a hot dog? But I never did it. But that was, that was my muse. And, and that's, you know, I that think, been hilarious. I think the most important tip to getting out of it. <laughs> you got to put a hot dog in a banana. Yeah. If I ever have kids, they're in for some stuff. People liked that. It's going to be weird. There was one person who's like, well, if we just get surgical, we can inject raw egg into the banana. Then boil the banana and with the egg inside. Exactly. You, boil you the basically banana. got a poached egg now in yes. with a banana shell. With like mushy boiled banana. And then you freeze it to make the banana less mushy. Yeah. Then you bread it and fry it. Yes. Midday or snack. you corn dogify it. Okay. Actually, you just dip it in oil with some put a nice Put a nice Dijon <laughs> on that fried <laughs> banana with egg. Exactly. I don't know. Okay, so we're not chefs. It we're really, we're out. not chefs. But anyway, uh, you know, the new gear allows me to film in a more cinematic color profile where there's much more dynamic range, which for people who don't know camera terms, it basically just means there's more color information between the point where it would be absolutely black and absolutely white, which you can't really do anything with. It's just, you know, the sensor is either perceiving pure white, which it goes beyond its capability to detect yeah. or pure black. Again, same thing. So when you shoot in that really flat colorful, colorful, uh, color profile, you get much more color information between those two points and you get a lot more control in how you can do your color grading in post. So it'll look a lot nicer. Uh, and it can also do things like film in slow-mo and things that I could never be doing in the past. Huh. So we're just, we're doing all the fun things. Gotta do something with slow-mo. Yeah. I don't know what. But, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I was like, and I, it's not like I had done everything I could do with my current gear, but there were areas that I really wanted to branch into that I just couldn't with my current gear. And I think like that, that is a time where it makes sense to get new gear. If you have the money and you're like, I've been doing this for a very long time and I've really kind of exhausted my possibilities with the current kit I have, at least in one dimension that I care a lot about. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really good thing that my photography teacher, when I was taking some classes after university to see if I would like it, he was, he was always like, people come in here with like thousands and thousands of dollars on a camera. They don't even know how to use it. Like mm -hmm. you didn't need to do this because you could, you could come in here with a smartphone camera, listen to what I say and go take good photos with it. Yep. You should use the gear you have 
until you're certain that the reason you can't get into a specific area is the gear. And not just a vague, I think it'll make me better, but a specific thing that only that gear can unlock. Like you just said, like I, I bought an $1,100 macro lens after I had rented it for several weeks for, mm -hmm. you know, just a couple hundred dollars, much cheaper to try it out. But macro was always what I wanted to take photos of. So in that case, it was exactly the gear. Once I yeah. learned photography, I was like, the gear is now keeping me from doing the one thing I want. It's not my skill. You just, there's a minimum focal distance required here. And weren't you using like these really cheap extension tubes before I, I used, uh, I bought like, it was either 12 or $20, these mm -hmm. little extension tubes that I could stick on to my kit lens, just cheapest setup I could for my camera. Cause my camera with the kit lens was like five or $600 total. Mm -hmm. You throw on $20, those uh, little extension tubes and I was doing macro for a bit. And once I was like, I love this, I want to take it to the next level. I rented the fancy one, mm -hmm. but I was really scared. Like, like to spend $1,100 on a lens that was almost twice the cost of the camera. I was like, what is this? How does yeah. that even make sense? Should I do this? That's really dumb. And now almost every good photo that I have was taken with that lens. Mm -hmm. Almost all of my favorites were taken with that one. Because it really does allow you to get to an, because another it's, level. You're, when you get good enough that you can say, this is a specialty, a little thing that I can't do currently. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I think that the way you did it was smart with the extension tubes and the regular kit lens. Because when you upgrade to really, really nice gear, a lot of times, and this, I, I wouldn't say this is every discipline right? Like a really nice pair of skis and a really crappy pair of skis. This might not count, but for cameras, for sure, for certain, like buying a professional cinema camera, if you're a beginner, you will have so many options that you will never have time to learn the fundamentals. Whereas oh, if yeah, you have yeah. like a basic point and shoot or a basic DSLR, and really when it comes to the gear, your only options are like putting it into manual, learning your exposure triangle, and maybe playing with a lens or two, now you really have to figure out like, okay, I have to look at angles. I have to look at proper lighting. I have to look at composition of the image. Um, I'll learn about crop factors, all these things, because those are really your options for improving the picture that you get. But if you immediately go to a really, really, really nice camera, you're like, well, okay, do I need this zebra mode? Do I need this focus peaking? What, you know, what shutter speed, what frame rate do I need to film at? What color profile? There's like, in camera lets you can apply there's just so many options that you're less likely to focus in on the fundamentals you don't even really necessarily know why it's a good investment yep and if, even if you do know you're just an expert who's read all the books on it you may not have the skills yet to make the difference at mm -hmm. all it may be the same photos you could have taken on a point and shoot and you may not have the skills yet to take care of it properly oh yeah you're gonna be you real know? mad if you dropped that the first day mm-hmm now, like, like most filmmakers who end up investing in a camera like this, they'll also get insurance on it, which I plan to do when I had my little DSLRs. I'm like, don't care about insurance. Um, but, you know, I spent enough time like watching as many both reviews of the camera as I could, but also just like videos from professional filmmakers saying like, this is how I use it. Here's what my kit looks like to, to pick up little tips like that. Like, oh, you know, I get insurance for my cameras or, uh, you see how there's two different holes for screws at the bottom of this camera. That's because this camera is super expensive and you want to actually put two different tripod screws into it. Not just one. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I probably wouldn't have known that. 
if I just like throw myself. You just stick it on this. like a twenty dollar Best Buy tripod, it falls over. I might have done that. You know what? Very I might much, have done that. Very much so. And until you've tried several tripods, you don't even necessarily know why one is more expensive. You just like, hold the mm-hmm. camera. Yeah, yeah, it can't that, be that heavy. What's it like? Actually, four pounds? That's Leave actually a very good point. Um, so I own a tripod that costs three hundred and fifty bucks. That's my most expensive tripod. Uh, but I, I really held off on buying it for many years because I had a thirty dollar Best Buy tripod, and I'm like, this tripod's fine. What's wrong with it? It put like I put the camera on it. It's fine. Yeah. You know until you're starting to get a little more ambitious and you've learned like, oh, this tripod could be knocked over pretty easily. This tripod doesn't support a ton of weight. This tripod has a fluid pan head so I can get pan shots. All right, let me upgrade to that and I'll try that out. Yeah. You know, but I'm really happy for the beginning times I had. Like my first year of video was lights I built from Home Depot. Uh, My old Sony camera that overheated every 15 minutes. Um, I didn't even own a tripod that was tall enough for me for most of my first year on YouTube. So I would balance <laughs> it on top of my bookshelf. And uh, because my bookshelf was taller than me, I ha- what did I have to do? I had to put the camera body on top of like a book and then and then like angle the lens down to the edge of the bookshelf. So it was pointing down at me. And then I would use like another heavy book to make sure the camera couldn't slide off the shelf. I put it slightly in front of it. Yep. <laughs> you know, but like but doing it, those, you learn to works. be creative, right? Like you learn to find solutions to problems where you don't have an easy answer. That's just better gear. And then when you have the better gear, you kind of bring those skills along with you. Yeah. You'll appreciate it. And if something weird happens, you'll be more flexible mm-hmm. with it. You won't just be like, this isn't in the instruction manual. Yeah. I'm confused. So I I guess like the main point is exhaust your options with your current kit. And then, you know, once you have the funds and you're like, okay, I'm running up against a bottleneck here because of the gear, then it's time. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe if you just have a ton of fun sitting around, you know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, but you do miss out on those times of having to be scrappy. Yeah. I mean, you could easily invest in something and then not use it. I could have been right. I could have bought a new iPad. I could have been, just for a couple days, I'd be like, whoa, I'm so inspired. Mm-hmm. Let me write stuff. A few days later, I'm just like surfing Reddit or something on it. I install Twitter because why not? Mm-hmm. It starts to go downhill. That could have happened. That could still happen. I don't think it's going to at this point. But you could be wrong Make if you invest too now. soon. And then I've spent hundreds of dollars for just for no improvement. Now I just have another thing I need to take care of and update and whatnot. Yeah. That's true. And that's something that a lot of people don't think of. When you get more gear, you add more maintenance. Yeah, and I hate maintenance. Like, My things own me to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm willing to accept the burden because I, I want to elevate the content on my YouTube channel to another level. So I'm willing to accept this. But this new gear involves more work. Like that camera takes a different kind of battery than the old cameras. So now I have two kinds of batteries. And the gimbal has batteries and the external monitor that I have to put on the gimbal that takes batteries. Yeah, so if I'm planning for a stuff. shoot, I have to make sure like eight different batteries are charged. I have to make sure that, uh, you know, SD cards are formatted properly. 
<laughs> because I don't want to. If you were just starting out, you might not even want to continue after having to yeah, do that much like, maintenance. Oh, every, like, why, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Remember that one time we forgot to charge and... one battery? Oh, we my drove, gosh. We drove 40 minutes to Iowa's capital to do a video shoot on location. I don't remember what video. It was the also, I think summer there was a, vacation There was video. a bee right in front of one of the shots. That's what I remember there now. There was a bee in the shot, but, and I, we did pause it and point it out in yeah, the video. Yeah, the, the first time we, we drove all the way over there, and then you were just like the... The battery. <laughs> don't have the battery. We don't have the we, we don't have the battery. Imagine you just you started out and you're like, I don't have my sixth or seventh battery. I have I have one yeah. through five and the eighth one you're just making it really hard on yourself. Yeah. It's not gonna even gonna be fun mm-hmm. if you get stuck on that. I mean I feel overwhelmed right now with the upgrades I made. Yeah, you're not even used to it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, because, yeah, we just got, like, like that camera came with a manual that was this thick, and it was, like, this is the beginner manual. Here's the URL to download <laughs> the real manual. And there's, like, multiple 30-minute-plus training videos that Canon put out for it. And I'm like, all right, Tony, your homework now is to watch these videos and, and like, teach me where specific things are. Because he's kind of, like... That makes sense. ...coming into a flex role where he's, like, a filmer and editor at this point, which is pretty cool. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't immediately know how to change the shutter speed in this camera. I don't immediately know how to change the frame rate or the color grading or any of these things that we need. Uh, it was super obvious on my simpler cameras. And like, that's a good thing to know. Consumer grade equipment is made to be easy yeah. to use. Like a GoPro, you just turn it on. You, like they have that one GoPro that doesn't even have a screen. You literally just, it's such a wide angle. You just point it in the general direction. You're going to get something. <laughs> that camera, oops. <laughs> that camera like you need to make sure it's on a tripod if it's got any uh, risk of tilting it needs to be sandbagged you need a specific lens on it you need to know how to put the monitor on it which takes some learning you need to learn how to run sound oh there's like five different ways to get sound into it 3.5 millimeter or xlr what, what are you gonna do yeah there's just yeah, a lot of fiddly stuff to do yeah well especially with like with the creative fields like photography and video and Stuff like that. With mm-hmm. the equal odds rule, you need to do a lot of things. And the harder you make it, the less True. you can do. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, the Potato Jet guy, he does not film his YouTube videos on his highest end gear. Because he runs a production company. So he owns... Like know, for clients? Yeah. Like so at one point he clients. owned like a $50,000 RED camera with like cinema lenses. Those, and those are expensive. This. Yep. Like, you know... It's funny, you know, $6,500 for a C200. You're like, that's a used car. $50,000 for a red camera body. Like, that's a brand new luxury car. Yeah, that's that a brand new, there. better than my car, which I think is pretty cool. So <laughs> yeah. it's like pretty big. Mm-hmm. But he was saying, you know, it's just, it's such a hassle because you need these very special batteries. And, you know, the, the camera takes like a minute to boot up. And yeah, once mm. you have it going the picture is absolutely stunning but it's such a pain to use that really only going to use it on you know the rare special projects that clients are paying me for or if it's something very artistic that i'm working on as like a a side project but for the youtube videos i'm putting out every week i'm just going to use this this very simple mirrorless camera you know the quality is like 80 percent there yeah especially since like it's compressed it's on youtube most people are watching it on their phones it doesn't matter so I'm not going to worry yeah, about Yeah, it's it. not, not the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we talked a lot about like gear, uh, electronics in particular. Maybe we should talk a little bit about two other areas that I can see. One, education, courses, and mm. things like that, and, and productivity books, and 
whatnot, because that's all an investment of money and time, especially the books, because you got to take time to read it. It's Another true. thing is, like you mentioned skis earlier, I would go about investing in like new rollerblades a little differently than the iPad, because mm. I probably wouldn't borrow Ashley's rollerblades for eight years. Yes. And decide if I decide if I want them. Not really eight years, but a billion. So I actually that's listed something really close to that. I have a list here called when you should buy new gear. Oh, cool. Um, so I listed, you know, when you've bumped up against the limitation, only new gear will solve. When investing makes financial sense. Um, so that one, we kind of referenced that last week where I was talking about how when I got into YouTube, the landscape was very different than it is now. And people like my friend Matt are using pro-level equipment and using pro-level filmmaking techniques to make very similar content mm. to mine so i'm like you have more competition you got more competition you kind of need to be on the bleeding edge i think um but here's one when you're risking injury by not buying new gear yeah uh so my example here is figure skates i bought a 100 pair of jackson intro level figure skates for my first probably six months of doing it and they were great i mean they feel a thousand times better than rentals the blades are sharp it's perfect for learning your three turns doing your edges correctly all the basic techniques it is fine for but my coach was like all right you're gonna start learning jumps soon you need to buy new skates because these jacksons they're great but they do not have the ankle support needed for coming down hard out of a jump onto basically a knife's edge that's a lot of force coming down. And if you're you doing, just wouldn't have known if you're that. doing a spin, that's a lot of rotational force. And if you land incorrectly, that's a lot of force going onto your ankle, like a lot of torque that can be applied. So you need more expensive gear. So I now have $900 figure skates that Olympians use. Well, it's better than breaking <laughs> your leg off. You Absolutely. Know? It's the same know? thing applies to like hiking to stuff like that. Mm -hmm. you, this is all really important. And don't, yeah, don't hike in like, flip-flops it's great to learn on beginner <laughs> stuff but don't go pushing yourself when you're like that's the next level and it's not going to be reasonable anymore mm -hmm. i remember there was a, a video that's like um you know how, how good is a 100 walmart mountain bike and like the dude takes it i think he takes it to whistler bike park in canada which is like one of the biggest and most famous downhill bike parks in the world and by the end of one run the bike is basically broken like he really? made it down, but I think the brakes eventually went and he was just like <laughs> skidding his way down it. And he was, I don't know if he's a pro mountain biker, but he was very good at mountain biking. Better than me. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah, like if, if you go and do something like downhill mountain biking, sure, you could get hurt, you know, no matter what gear you're using. But if you're using gear that isn't up to the task, you're putting yourself in danger. Yeah, you, you buy a cheap helmet because the other one's not, if I didn't have the full face helmet, I would have been messed up. Mm -hmm. It was a little more expensive to get a full face helmet, I'm pretty sure. A little bit. But, but I deal with it. That was worth it. And then um, actually, this is this is something that's really interesting because you just mentioned the, the ice skates thing. Now, I would never have been like, you know what? I really want to do these twisty things, but like the ankle, look, look at that. That's not going to take the force. But you invested in a teacher. So that's – I didn't even think of that. I was thinking yep. of online courses – books and like school i didn't think about tutors which is dumb because i invested in a piano tutor this year and you mm. have the vocal coach and you had an ice skating coach so that's a huge investment that can be yeah. a very expensive investment depending on how long you do it i have found that investing in one-on-one -on -one instruction is very very useful 
but the caveat is it's expensive. Yeah. Oh, it's I do that with language probably too. the most expensive form of education you can buy. Very much. You know, $165 vocal lesson per week for a year, you do the math. That There's probably not a singing course out there that costs that much or even half that much. Yeah. But there is no other way to get one-on-one, not only instruction, but feedback in real time on what you're doing. That's very important. And a lot of times, especially, I, you know, I think this is especially true with singing, you need feedback because you, like when you listen to yourself sing, you're hearing a lot of the resonances on, of the bones in your head. So you yeah. do not sound the same as you actually do to other people. And even if you're recording it, a lot of times you don't really know what to listen for and you don't know what direction to go in. I was doing a take today of a periphery song and I've been working on it for, I've been working on this song probably since I started vocal lessons. And I feel like I've just now started to get to the point where I'm kind of happy with it. And uh, a lot of this came from my vocal coach's uh, recommendations. But one thing that really helped was I posted my last take on Twitter and a person was like, you sound like you're trying too hard to imitate the singer of the actual band. And your voice isn't like his. So you need to try more to just use your own voice while still hitting the cadence and the pitch and, you know, everything else in there. So I've been working on that and just trying to like grow into my own voice while still doing covers. And it sounds better when I record it. But I probably wouldn't have gone in that direction if I didn't have the feedback. Now, that's an interesting feedback. I don't think I would have thought that either because i'd be like well i'm trying to cover it i need it sound needs to sound the same yep but no it doesn't a lot of the best covers are like twist versions of stuff yeah and what i found is a lot of times you know like you can identify these things but you don't know if they're the correct direction so the big thing in my head was i was readily able to identify the fact that i probably need to develop my own voice but i was like whenever I heard my own voice covering something, I know what the song sounds like for real. And there's a a mismatch. So it sounds bad to my ears because I'm like, this isn't, it doesn't sound correct. And a lot of times when you have somebody who is knowledgeable and who you respect tell you, yes, go in that direction. That's like the little push you need to stop kind of teetering between two different options. Because in my head, it was like, Maybe I should try to develop my own voice or maybe I should just work harder at nailing the same techniques that Spencer uses. And if I work harder, I'll eventually grow into it that way and that'll improve my own voice. I don't know which way to go. Yeah, when, you, when you're not far <laughs> along enough, it could be easy to be confused about where to go and then you might mm-hmm. build bad habits. Yep. So like, especially with, so I, I've been learning a different technique for piano from my teacher, which is helpful for me because of my previous nerve damage and the, the screws in my finger and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if you try to learn an instrument like that, and you don't know at all what you're doing, you could end up with horrific technique that will just break you in like 10 years. You'll be like, this seems reasonable for now, but without somebody there to say, don't do that, stop doing that Mm -hmm. right now, you're going to break your fingers. Like, yeah, I mean, people get carpal tunnel for a reason. It's because uh, we really need to figure out the limitations of our body, but it's hard to know that stuff when you're focused on the work you're producing with your body rather than... You know, I'm, pay- I'm paying attention to the sound of the music. Am I hitting the right notes? Maybe I'm not paying attention to what are my fingers doing at the same time because maybe I can't focus on that many things at once yet. Mm-hmm. I actually had something very similar like that with singing. So one of my favorite singers, even though he's 
made some very poor life decisions as a human being. But one of my favorite singers is Johnny Craig, who was the singer of uh, Dance Gavin Dance for a long time, Emerosa, and most recently Slaves, and then left them at the airport at the beginning of a European tour because he went on like a drug bender. But uh, he has a good voice. And one quality that I really enjoy in his voice is his ability to throw like these really kind of guttural elements while still singing and making it sound soulful. Um, hmm. A decent comparison might be the singer of Nickelback. Again, I'm not the biggest Nickelback fan, but I do like that kind of like raspy quality to his voice. So I've always wanted to emulate that, especially Johnny Craig's version of it. Um, and I've tried to in practice. And then my vocal coach told me, okay, he does that. But in production, they add something called saturation and compression, which accentuates that. So if you're listening to it and you're trying to make yourself sound the same to the same degree of intensity to yourself with no editing, you're going too hard and you're going to damage your voice. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. And he also told me like, when you're a beginning singer, you have not yet developed all the correct muscles and strength and technique to be able to do that without straining your voice. When I started singing, I would strain my voice when I tried to do that. Now I can do it and it doesn't hurt. And it's like literal physical changes in my body that I just, I literally could not do it physically when I started. So a lot of times you, your, your coach needs to tell you, go slower. Don't try to go to this level yet. You're not ready for it. Yeah. And if you think you can accelerate and that's something I struggle with, you know, like we, we do all this learning content. So I kind of have this belief that, Oh, I, I know learning hacks. So I should be able to accelerate past where most people are at this point. Uh, and that can get me in trouble sometimes. Yeah. It's like, Nope, you literally need like a year of practice and rest and recovery to be able to do this physically. Yeah. Now, now this is with like personal tutors, which were very expensive for a lot of things. Um, I can get language tutors pretty reasonably because I can control my schedule and whatnot. That's, that's not nearly as expensive. How as much is piano. like a half hour lesson on italki? A half sure. hour? I could do that probably. Um, depending on what language and what country, mm -hmm. somewhere between five and 10 could be a half hour. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, okay. it depends if, if it's a, it depends on like the power of the U S dollar for me, you know? True. So if I, if I want to learn Spanish, it's more expensive for me to get a teacher in Spain than a teacher in like South America or Central America, mm -hmm. just because of economics. You could probably, I just thought about this. You could probably get a remote vocal coach. Very possibly. My piano teacher actually also offers remote lessons. If, I, she... if I ever move away, I can keep the same teacher. Actually, you know what? So that I was think... a really, that was really cool for me to find out. I don't know if he still charges the same, but I think my coach has actually said I do Skype lessons sometimes. That's great. Now you would need to invest in a microphone and probably an interface. So you're yeah. not, you know, oh, but there's where you should invest in something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's a good, you know, there's a good, uh, a good point to invest. Like if you want to learn to sing and you want to record yourself, probably shouldn't be singing into your Xbox live microphone headset. It's not going to capture the qualities you're looking optimized. for. It's going to, blow out and peak you probably should spend like 50 bucks on a atr 2100 or something yeah which you know what i've done a lot of vocal takes into my atr 2100 and uh right now i have my um 350 sure microphone hooked up to my computer which i bought before the atr i can tell very little difference between them slight difference but that's from years and years and years of comparing audio 
and listening to it and editing it. Yeah. But most people can't tell the difference. And I have heard some people on YouTube who are far more talented than me singing into cheap mics and sounding amazing. So the little voice in the back of my head that says, oh, you just need to buy a really, really nice mic to make yourself sound good. It's not true. That's not the problem. Mm -mm. So you uh, were talking earlier about uh, the learning aspect in terms of buying courses or books. Yeah. Yeah, because that's all self-investment too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I buy couple of productivity books, that might be a very good investment. I thought reading Essentialism, that has forever stuck in my head. Yeah. That book sticks with me. I've read it more than once. Great investment of both my time, considering it, reading it, pondering it afterward, mm-hmm. and, and, and the money t- that it took to buy it. But sometimes you can take it too far. So if I, if I think, oh, well, that made me more productive, so let me buy 10 more similar vein books, read all yeah. those, and then I'm probably going to become Tim Ferriss by default just from reading these books. And bam, then I got the four-hour work week because I read it along with these other books, and now I'm done. Mm-hmm. But that's – now I'm mis- misusing an investment. Yeah. Because any book like that, you got we have an episode on like how to use productivity books or tips or something. Yep. But basically, you, you've invested – in the thing, but now what you need to do is invest time in using what it told you about, which is the same of any course or my piano teacher. If I go there every week, and I'm taking a break right now for this reason, if I go there every week and I haven't practiced, I'm kind of wasting the resource I just invested in. Yep. I need to ponder same. the lessons that I've been taught, either from a teacher, a book, or a course, and do something with them. Since my piano's in storage, since I'm in this weird in-between homes thing forever until... Uh, I clean the new place. I can move it over there soon. But because I don't have my piano, I can't practice. So it's completely worthless for me to do that. I'm just going to be like, please tell me something. Allow me to forget it over the next month and then come back. Yeah. Let's, uh, so it's hard to say, like, should you or shouldn't you buy individual X course or Y book? But I think it would be reasonable to define a rough rule. So let's call this like the 75-20 five rule it would be easier to say 70 20 10 but i, I honestly think that 10 does not work for the gear part but like 75 percent of your time should be spent on deliberate practice 20 percent spent on learning only five percent percent spent buying gear researching gear anything involved in acquiring new gear yeah so and maybe though maybe it's more like i don't know 80 19 1 percent something like that yeah, the gear it's should really, not be the majority of what you're doing long, at all. How long does it take me to buy a microphone? Five minutes. Uh, that, that's a good point. Probably like a day's worth researching it on like gear forums or something. But uh, how long should I spend singing? More than that. Yeah. You know? And then like 20, how long should you day, try probably. this before you even think about taking it to an, an expensive... The, the podcast and your videos have been around for years now. Mm-hmm. Now you're investing in a big expensive thing. You hesitated for a long time, and I didn't get lessons for a long time. And if somebody starts something new, well, I think it depends on what it is, because you're doing something like ice skating. Maybe you you should have a a little bit of a coaching the first time. I think for ice skating particularly, you you could try it at a free skate thing. Oh, yeah, classes with multiple people. Yes. And so here's the thing. Um, The beginning parts of almost any hobby or pursuit are pretty easy to pick up for most people i think like going from zero to 
beginner. You can probably do that really quickly and you can do it in a group setting, I think, for most things. Yeah. So like for ski lessons, they do group ski lessons. You probably don't need a ton of individual attention. You just need someone who's like, here are the basic techniques and then I'm going to kind of look at each of you. And if you get it really quick, then they don't have to um, focus too much attention on you. They can focus attention on people who are having a tougher time. It's almost like insurance, you know? Mm. But then when you get into the maybe advanced beginner, intermediate, advanced stages, now you're getting to points where making marginal improvements takes a lot more effort and a lot more nuance and it requires much more precise feedback. So at that, at that point, it becomes more uh, worth getting a coach. Yeah, and, well, and with the class you've had now, you've had time to decide, do you like it? Mm -hmm. Are you any good at it? Do you, do you see any potential in continuing to invest in this? Yep. And if you're forced to get a coach for some hobby that I'm not thinking of or some project or type thing, then, I mean, if I had to do that immediately and it was kind of expensive, I would just have it be short-lived. I'd just be like, I'm going to take these lessons for a month and we're yep. going to see what happens after that. I make no commitment because... Yeah, one month of lessons is good. Like, you can do that. I've actually... Like, I've even had language teachers where usually I have an ongoing relationship with one, but mm -hmm. with one French teacher, I was like, I'm just trying to brush up, so I'm going to take a, uh, a lesson every day for two weeks, and then I'm not. It's kind of like a class. I'm yeah. doing this like a semester, and they were like, cool. Mm -hmm. If you set the expectation up front, Ooh, it can actually, work out. I will say that personally, I found getting a individual vocal teacher first to be very useful because I would not have gone to a group class and sang in front of a group. That's a good point for Wouldn't that for that thing, yeah. <laughs> now maybe for I singing, yeah. I don't know, maybe I could have joined like a choir because then you're singing at the same time as everyone, but if I was in a group setting and they were like, "All right, Thomas, sing this line in front of everyone." Wouldn't have done it. I would do it now. I, that makes sense. But I would so have done it. It definitely depends on what kind of thing it is and what your hesitance yeah. level and I was this close to canceling my first vocal lesson. I was standing outside and I was like, so scared to go in. I almost texted him and I was like, I can't do it. You know, yeah. I didn't do it. Like, I'm very glad that I went in there because it's been very rewarding, but man, I was close to abandoning it and I would have never signed up if it was a group thing. Yeah. Well, actually that's kind of similar to the, to the gear thing. You only got a singular teacher when you realized that there was something you simply couldn't do without one, which is yeah. try at this. That's true. Yeah, and I guess like, you know, if I literally didn't own a camera or like I owned a really crappy camera, I probably wouldn't have started YouTube. So what, what's the bare minimum investment that will get you started? That's the question to answer. Yeah, for, for each given thing, the answer is different, but. Mm -hmm. And you can probably find somebody who will give you a rational and unbiased answer. Like there are a lot of really good videos out there. People saying like, here's the best beginner camera to vlog with. It's probably like a used $200 Canon T3i or something like that. You know, it's it's good enough to get started. Not what I would use, but I'm a pro. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, just go win one of those like cameras from the crane games at the arcade that films in like 144p. <laughs> you know, that might be a little a little low to start with. Then again, I filmed with that kind of a camera when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I have all these like old videos I made with my brother. I think we, we saved up $90 to buy this camera from Walmart. The film <laughs> 144p. Yep. It's real bad, but it was fun. And I mean, I don't know if we like knew that we learned stuff, but we learned stuff. We experimented with like different angles and things like that. Yeah. 
we learn how to use Windows, Windows Movie Maker. So with courses and books and things like that, uh, one problem that I see is people will brag about how much they've consumed. Like, I've read 70 self-help books, all this kind of stuff. So I think you really have to fall back on that rule of like the 70, 20, 10, or whatever you want to call it. Maybe we should say it's that because that's, I think those are the numbers that are the most easily rememberable yeah. or memorable. Uh, if you bought a course, did you spend more time than it took you to intake that course practicing? Yeah. And if not, should you buy another course? Does it make sense to? Yeah, like I I read 70 self-help books, but how many did I use? Yep. I used none. Or so did it doesn't, you even doesn't really go count. through the last self-help book? Or did you say, this is learning, but it was actually gear acquisition because yeah. you felt good because you bought the book? I've certainly felt good buying books. Like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. I'm going to make videos out of it, and then I never read it. Yeah. You know? So I, I probably shouldn't buy any new books. I've got a bunch sitting around that I still need to read. Yeah. Oh, you know what I just thought of? When it comes to, um, if you're buying gear specifically, you should probably watch out for something that, that we talked about in the minimalism episode, where uh, you buy a $6,500 camera, you give a mouse a cookie, you're going to need to get this other fancy thing that goes with it, and so on and so on and so on. Now, I've, I think I've done a good job of avoiding this. I just bought a fancy new iPad, but my phone camera is broken and my mm. laptop is six years old. But if I was less careful about that and less stubborn, I might think, well, if I have a 2018, 2019 iPad, then I should upgrade my MacBook and I should upgrade this and I should do all these. When those upgrades didn't serve my purpose at all. So you should be wary of unnecessary upgrades <laughs> that look like they belong with the current one. Yeah, I'm actually kind of bad about that. Yeah, because like my original intention was to buy the camera. Well, you're, you're less minimalist like, than I am. I was like, all right, well now I should get like the good light, and I should get a better microphone, and like, I think it will make our stuff better. But you're right. There comes a big temptation to make everything else you have match. It's got to be new, just as cool good thing you've bought, and that's a big thing to be wary of with uh like your living space. Yeah, I may have like, done that when I first moved here. It was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I've always wanted like, Good thing I didn't really want a couch or that would have cost a bit. And you get the fancy chair and you're like, well, now I need to get a good rug and a better end table. And yeah. it's funny because in college, we had a Goodwill couch, 30 bucks. Uh, you know, the end table next to it has a giant stain on it. Don't care. I've been kind of you intentionally know? returning to, <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's really stressful for me to care about this much furniture. Mm -hmm. I want furniture I don't care about. Yep, I'm kind of intentionally downgrading we got to stuff a, I'll uh, use and just throw around and not care. It's just mm -hmm. well, yeah, because I don't want to fret over it. Um, I, when my mom was here, I was I was talking to her about the dining table we bought because Anna wanted like a, a big dining table for Thanksgiving and stuff. So I intentionally went to a furniture store that I know is pretty cheap, and we got a dining table that it's not hardwood. It looks nice, but I could tell it's made out of like particle board with like a nice. Yeah, mirror that looks like hardwood on the top, but there's already a big scratch in it. Have no idea how it got there, but you know what? It's kind of a relief. Now you got to scratch it. I don't you gotta... have to fret it about it yeah. anymore. Yeah, you know, I'm be like, oh, is somebody gonna put a scratch on my table? Hey, don't don't record your Yahtzee scores on the table because the pencil lead might put a thing in there. 
Yeah. Like it might indent the table. Like I don't care now. It's but, a table. It has a use. You know, there's like I think there is a balance between buying quality, but then like not buying such quality that you then fret over it all the time. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to find. But yeah, that's that's definitely a danger. I did it a little bit when I moved here because I thought mm-hmm. I was changing my lifestyle. Turns out that you have to do different things. Yeah. Just like you have to do the hobby. You have to do the project or the job or the skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, I couldn't buy myself a new lifestyle with fancy furniture type things. A, yeah. a nice looking lamp that was actually far less bright than the $10 one I later got from Target. Wait, really? Yeah. Was it just the light that was in it or what? It's by design, kind of. It's like this huge oh. rectangular thing, and it it's like got this fancy canvas looking outside to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the lights are filtered through the canvas thing. Mm. But then this $10 light where the light's just on the top, same light bulbs. Did you like that better? Way brighter. Totally fixed the living room lighting problem I was having. Okay. <laughs> Not the expensive lamp from like Pier 1 or some nonsense because yeah, I decided to upgrade how do you how do you square this philosophy with want or with like appreciating beautiful things well like art or maybe you consider that lamp art i mean it's a cool lamp i mean i guess as long as you're really intentional about it i would i would purchase something that maybe looked nice if Mm -hmm. i if i needed to so my digital piano i got it's a decently expensive one because I wanted the soundboard. It looks so nice and fancy. But at the same time, the soundboard brings me use. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would probably depend on how much I appreciate it and how much money I have. Like, it would be kind of dumb to base it on whether it just it's a pretty lamp. If I didn't have the money to buy a pretty lamp. Yeah. If I just needed a lamp, that'd be a horrible place to start. Let's get the utilitarian one. But... I mean, at this point, I'm just trying to be more minimalist about it. I don't want fancy furniture. I mm-hmm. want $60 Ikea tables that look, they look nice, but also they're super easy to put together and take apart. And if somebody burned one, I would just say, oh, I guess I need to buy a new table, I, you know, rather than something fancy. Because I've, there was a similar looking table that was like $260. Mm-hmm. I was just like, that one looks nicer. Is that at Ikea as well? Yeah, right next to it. Oh, And it okay. looks much nicer. Mm-hmm. And it's a lower, and I love it. But at the same time, I'm going to baby that table, and that's stupid. I don't want to. <laughs> I probably would have gotten that table. I have more important things to do than baby a table. <laughs> it being Ikea, I feel like the price difference wouldn't be that too bad for me. Because I'm not going to go out and buy like a $1,000 table, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just a tiny end table yeah so it seemed a little ridiculous oh okay if it's an end table but maybe it's like the whole marie kondo thing like does it bring you joy yeah like do you really appreciate how it looks yes like my tri-color sunburst fender stratocaster i've had it for months i still am given joy looking at that particular body of guitar yeah my acoustic guitar was $500, which was super expensive to me at the time, Mm -hmm. but it was like largely purple and I loved it Mm -hmm. and it was beautiful. But But then there are certain other things that you get it and you're like, ah, this is so cool when you get it. And then it just sort of blends into the background of your living space. Those are probably the things where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to invest a lot of money. Yeah. You really just got to know whether you're going to truly appreciate it and whether you Mm -hmm. have the money to spare. I mean, obviously don't buy a $500 clown painting, even if you love it for some reason, if you can't afford it. (laughs) Now, I don't love it. 
<laughs> I don't love it either. <laughs> no clown paintings will be in my house. I'm uncomfortable. Only, only. And if that's you, that's what you're into. Paintings. Like with stuff like that, if you're if you're making what you're trying to invest in simultaneously art, then it's kind of up to you how you want to live with that. Just yeah. just don't overinvest to the point that you wouldn't be willing to use it if it's something you use. Mm-hmm. If I was afraid to touch my piano. I couldn't play it, and it doesn't matter how fancy it is. If I go buy, like, the $300,000 grand, yep, I'm going to be so scared to play that thing and ruin it that That's true. will I yeah. even play it every day? Will mm-hmm. I even use it? If I can make it fancy up to the point that I stop wanting to use it on a daily basis, mm-hmm. then I've only hurt myself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that uh, I play my cheap acoustic way more than my fancy one, and I'm also willing to do things on it that I might not do on the fancy one. Like I've been experimenting with like slapping the body to like kind of create percussion and things like that. Oh yeah. I don't know if I would do it as hard on the really nice one. Now owning both of them, I think is kind of the sweet spot because the nice one really does sound better if I'm going to record. Yeah. So I'm going to go to that one if I want to record, but if I was just a hobbyist guitarist, didn't care about recording, then I would say in retrospect, the cheap one is definitely the one to get. Don't have to keep it in a case to worry about humidification don't care that much it was cheap yeah um i I, i'll beat on it i don't care if i drop it you know i'm gonna try not to drop it because i'm not gonna be careless with my things but if i do drop it i'm not gonna freak out whereas the really nice one like i might freak out a little bit you know so again that comes back to the question of are you butting up against the limitation where new gear will solve your problem and you care enough about it and you can afford it yeah, the limitation's like, probably not, it's not pretty enough for me to try. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it's like, oh, Maybe. this guitar sounds probably not. so much better. The resonance is just so much more pleasing to the ear. This is what I want to record my music on. So that's what I'm going to use. Yeah. Um, I had one more thing I wanted to talk about with uh, the whole buying of courses thing. Yeah. So with, with music production, I got kind of into it, and then I went on to Udemy, and they had a production course and i think it was like for using logic or something like that no it was using it was for ableton so it was before i had even selected like the Hmm. daw that i was going to use permanently because i'm not using ableton now digital audio workstation yep cool nailed it so and honestly i'm still kind of between which one i'm going to use because now that i've moved everything down here i may end up with a windows based one instead of logic but at the time i was like i'm going to use ableton because that's what andrew huang uses and um on Udemy, it said it was like, this is a $200 course, but it's on sale for $10. And I was so excited, so I bought it. And then it was like, oh, here's like all of these other courses that are also on sale because we're having a limited time sale. And I, I think I spent like 80 bucks on courses. You just bought them all. <laughs> it's like loaded up on courses. Yeah, because they kind of like tap into the scarcity mindset. Yeah, that's a, but it's a clever way. Here's the thing about Udemy. They're always on sale. Always. <laughs> so... What I've kind of learned like is Steam sales. It is like Steam sales. You know how many Steam games I've bought have never played? That's how they get you. That's their marketing power. Yep. That's what they do. It's their strategy. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of learned if I don't intend to play the thing now, if I don't intend to go through the course now, it's probably not worth getting because it's very likely that I'm actually just never going to get through it. Yeah. So I would rather go in there and, and get it when I intend to take it. And if it costs more... Maybe I lose out, but I, I think on average, if I live by the philosophy of buy it now, don't buy it just because it's on sale, I win out in the long run. 
That's also why I will never buy something just because it's on sale. Now, I do think there are people out there who are prudent and who will be like, I intend to buy a TV. Now I will wait for it to go on sale. That's smart. Mm. But that's not why things go on sale. Things go on sale because the people who are selling things know a lot of people will be like, hey, that's on sale. Therefore, I will buy it. Yeah. So you got to kind of avoid that too. And that applies to gear too. But yeah, I think that probably uh, covers a lot of everything we wanted to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just be deliberate, man. And spend most of your time on the deliberate practice. Yeah. And and review, right? Like ask yourself, am I spending most of my time in deliberate practice? Or am I wasting time reading gear reviews or buying too many courses or whatever it is? Yeah. That should be your barometer. Anywho, this is episode 276 of the College Info Geek Podcast. So go over to CIGpodcast.com slash 276 if you want to find the show notes for this episode. I think we talked about some stuff that we might link to. Probably. Probably, perhaps. I don't Something. know. <laughs> There's, there was probably a lot of things mentioned, actually. Uh, otherwise, you can go over to CIGpodcast.com with no slashes, no numbers at the end of it. If you want to learn how to subscribe to this podcast, we are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all the places where you get podcasts, you know, we probably also will broadcast this podcast as uh, smoke signals in the forest at some point. I don't want to burn down the forest, Tom. Well, we're going to use safe smoke. We're going to use dry ice smoke. We're bringing dry ice into the forest. Yes, somehow. All right. It's going to be like a weird, very slow sequence of binary. I haven't thought about dry ice in years. That ex- that exists still? It does exist. The physics of dry ice are still real 10, 20 years later? Turns wow. out. Yeah. Turns out the physical properties of substances don't tend to change too much in 10 years. Weird. Dry ice still looks <laughs> like dry ice. <laughs> Completely forgot that existed. Anyway, if you want to support this show, a good way to do that is to give us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Hopefully, you give us five stars, but we're always looking for your honest opinion. So let us know what you think of the show. Um, you can also leave comments in the YouTube version of this episode. A lot of times, we'll take questions from those comments, turn them into five questions episodes, or turn them into full-length episodes. I'm not sure if this one was inspired by a question, but we've got we've gotten questions on gear before. Yeah, I think this one was mostly inspired by the fact that you got a new iPad and I got camera gear. And but it has been a question. It so has all, been a question. Uh, whoever asked that. Boom. It's, we got you. It's been a bit. We got you, fam. But uh, we did it. It's been probably several months and or years, but we got you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com if you want to see more articles, videos, podcast episodes like this one. Also, our uh, buying guides for going back to college. We have like a whole college packing guide that we've tried to be sort of minimalist on. Yep. Invest know. wisely. Invest wisely. Don't buy every single thing on it. That would be silly, but there's probably some interesting stuff on there. We have our list of essential books for students and then our list of apps, tools, and other gear that we recommend in general. So check those out. Uh, if you want to support the podcast in another way, you can share it with a friend. Otherwise, just keep on listening. Keep it to yourself. Hoard it like a treasure. Ne- never let dragon. anyone know. Don't let anybody ever. Yeah, I would actually be more hipster to never let anyone know that this podcast exists. Yeah. We put it on cassette tape and then we bury it immediately after recording. No one gets to hear it. Let's do that with one episode, the hidden episode. The hidden, we'll know, sell it like the Wu-Tang album. You know what? Um, the Hello Internet podcast literally did that. Are they going to sell it like the Wu-Tang album? They did not sell a single copy like the Wu-Tang album, but they did oh, missed put opportunity. It, they put it on vinyl. 
Okay. The only way to hear that episode, unless someone has pirated it, but the only way to hear that episode legitimately is to have bought the vinyl, which was a limited press. All right. I will never hear that episode. My guess is that I probably won't be too disappointed about that, but, um, you know. Time won't Maybe tell it is too the much. Most you you won't find out, I guess. It could be the best episode ever. Maybe it's the episode where they talk about how much they love me. Maybe. I don't know. Better get to the final episode. Anyway, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>